Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. If you're hearing this water noise in background, it's not that I'm recording in, in my shower. <laughs> it's pouring rain in LA. It's 5.02 of the Thanksgiving day. And that was the only time I could have uh, recorded these introductions for this upcoming series. I've been so blessed that my practice has been busy and I've been doing lots of interviews. So this was the only time that I could have done the recordings. And I'm very excited that you joined me. If this is the first time you're joining us, make sure you are checking out our 101 ways that you can spice up your sex life. The link is in the show notes. This is the checklist I created a few weeks ago. I worked on it for months. And it's because one of the number one complaints I get from my clients in my practice is that sex is routine. I feel bored. I checked out. I'm checked out during sex. So I created this list to give you some ideas about things that you can do to spice things up. So the list is divided in three categories based on how adventurous you want to get. And I, I wanted to make sure that there is something for everyone in the list. So today we're going to talk about one of the most exciting topics, which is learning how to seduce your partner. Last week, we had Dr. Shannon Chavez on the show. She talked about casual sex and how you can go about it. One of the common questions I get from people is, how can I flirt with other people? What can I do to show that I'm interested, but it wouldn't come off creepy? So our guest is Dr. Allison Ash. She's going to tell us all about what's the difference between friendly and flirty. She gives us some great information on verbals and nonverbal cues that's, that would kind of communicate with the partner that you are interested sexually. And they might be interested if they're expressing and showing some of those cues. As I mentioned, our guest is Dr. Allison Ash. She's a sex and intimacy coach and educator, lecturer at Stanford University, author and founder of TurnOn.Love. A sociologist with a PhD from Stanford, Ali has a comprehensive understanding of complex societal challenges that often lead to unsatisfying and disempowering sexual experiences. Ali designs workshops and retreats and offers individuals and couples coaching to give others the tools to discover their desires and confidently pursue them. She invites you to turn on pleasure, intimacy, and love at Turn On Love. I'll leave a link to her website on the show notes. And here's my conversation with Dr. Allison Ash. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Allison Ash on our show today. Ali, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. I shared with you, I, I heard your interview at another podcast and I was looking at your kind of like your website and I saw tons of great content that you had. And it was interesting that you have a PhD in sociology, is that correct, from Stanford? How did you switch over to sex education? 
Well, my emphasis was always on sex, gender, and sexuality. And much of my work while I was at Stanford was looking at college hookup culture, looking at pathways to queer identities, looking at feminism as it relates to pleasure and orgasm differentials and the pleasure gap. So while I've always been situated, my home has been in sociology, my emphasis has been on understanding how sex, gender, and sexuality all relate and understanding how society is structured in ways that disempower folks of all genders when it comes to intimacy and what we can do to start to give people access to the kinds of skills and perspectives they need so they can start to have the kinds of experiences that they're really longing for. Awesome. So it, it, it is within the same range of the topics that you are interested in. Now you're doing more of a specific workshops and trainings around those things so you can empower people to have better sex lives. So today we're going to focus on seduction. It's one of my all-time favorite topics. I know when I was like 12, I read the book Art of Seduction. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is fascinating. Because as psychologists, human interactions are all always very interesting for me. And when it comes to seduction, there's a verbal and nonverbal component to it that can be very confusing. I have this dear friend of mine, she's a psychologist as well, and she's in an open relationship. And she's always really good about reading whenever someone is friendly or flirting. And I always tell her, how do you know? And she's almost always right. <laughs> so I want to know, what is the difference? How do you, how can you teach us about how can we differentiate between when someone is friendly and someone is flirty with us? You know, it's challenging. It is challenging because there's a difference between intention and impact, right? And flirting is subjective, meaning what you receive as flirting or what you're intending to do as flirting might be very different than what I receive or do as flirting. And of course, there can be those uh, experiences where somebody is intending to flirt and the other person is totally oblivious to the cues, or somebody is just intending to be flirty and somebody's misreading it as, I mean, intending to be friendly and someone is misreading it as flirty. So for me, I really want to focus on the intention because I think that that's all that we have access to really understand, right, is how we're intending to show up. And so when I'm intending to flirt, I am wanting to explore the potential of chemistry. So I'm wanting to see, do I like this person? Is there an attraction there? What kind of attraction? How intense is the attraction? And similarly, do I sense that the other person has an attraction for me? So this idea of chemistry is this interactional effect between how we both view and, and desire one another. And then the other aspect of flirting for me is connecting to your own sexual desire. So feeling your hunger, your longing, the way that that might impact your body, the sensations and emotions that can generate, and operating from that place. So what are when it comes to seduction, what are some of the mistakes that you can have noticed that people are often making? I love that you started by saying that seduction is both verbal and nonverbal. I could not agree more. And I think that there are a lot of folks out there that are really well-developed or familiar and comfortable with maybe one of the two dimensions of seduction, but might not be fully utilizing both. So that's one thing that I want to focus on with my clients. 
I would say another thing is forgetting that there is a long game in seduction, right? Seduction isn't just the few minutes leading up to sexy time, right? You can start seduction in the morning before you leave for work Mm -hmm. by doing a well-placed touch or look or affirmation. And then throughout the day, texting little things that are continuing to create desire and anticipation and arousal. And then when you're at restaurant, at the restaurant for dinner, you're flirting underneath the table. And you know that the, the seduction can be something that we can cumulatively deposit into a bank Mm-hmm. And then draw out from when we're really ready for sexy time. It's like charging up our batteries. Mm-hmm. And I love that you're talking about verbal and nonverbal as well, because sometimes when people are anxious, I see people that come into my practice and are struggling with dating and seduction. And part of it is because they're so anxious, they're not able to pick up the kind of flirtatious kind of remarks that people are making. They're not following kind of like showing up for themselves so they cannot show up in a flirty way that's kind of more possibly more pleasant for the partner. The other piece I feel like we have to be able to seduce ourselves because I think there is a confident aspect when it comes to doing this dance because you have to kind of show up as a way that I have something to offer otherwise there wouldn't be a dance. That's right. And so when I'm working with my clients, I'm teaching them how to connect with their desire, how to feel it, how to embody it, but also not how to invade somebody else with their desire. Mm -hmm. It's this calibration process between not shutting down and denying your desire, which is like the good guy tactic so that they don't make other people feel uncomfortable, but that then friend zones you and not being so consumed by your desire that you're forgetting to feel your own body, to connect with yourself, to stay grounded and rooted, which creates enough spaciousness that the other person feels comfortable to be the object of your desire, right? And you also talked about the intensity. And sometimes also I feel people are not good with reading that aspect of it, right? So someone may be passively flirting with them and they make this sexual advancement. So I think sometimes people prematurely act on these desires. So what are some of the solutions around that? Well, one thing that I, I, I have a workshop I offer called Sleaze-Free Seduction Skills. <laughs> Love that title. <laughs> Thank you. And one of the things that I teach in this workshop is I borrow a term from the tech community. I'm based in the Bay Area. So there's a lot of folks that I work with that are in tech. And there's this term that they use called last known good state. Mm-hmm. So forgive me, techies out there, if I am using this term slightly incorrectly. But my understanding is that, if, for example, you're working on a new app mm-hmm. and there's there's a new version and it fails. You don't scrap the entire app. You go back to the last version that was working and you rebuild from there. Mm-hmm. So when I'm working with clients to teach them how to escalate, because seduction is really this, let me back up a step. I define seduction as safety plus turn on, mm-hmm. because if you have too much safety and not enough turn on, you get friend zoned. And if you have too much turn on, it doesn't matter how good the turn on is for both of you. If there's not enough safety, then the defenses come up and the interaction shuts down. So we need to find the combination of the two. Of course, then, in order to create turn on, we need to escalate. That's an essential part of seduction. But also, we need to be able to de-escalate because when our partners can see that we can escalate, Mm -hmm. that's sexy, 
Mm-hmm. That, that's the confidence that you were speaking about earlier. But also that they can attune to us when maybe it's too much too soon and de-escalate in response. That creates safety. That's the attunement process that then I know that my partner is tracking me and reading me. And when they de-escalate, when I am not comfortable or I'm not responding favorably to the escalation process, then I feel safe and I reestablish connection. Mm -hmm. And that actually creates an open pathway for escalation further down the line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that at least from my personal experiences, in the past and I hear from clients that when there is this misattunement and when someone's making advancement and you're not ready or they're not ready, people, egos get impacted. There's just kind of, there cause lots, it can cause lots of tension. So how can people kind of go from there to kind of going back to the place of being flirtatious or friendly? So when you notice that you've gone maybe too much too soon. So the first thing is that you have to be able to read body language. And so oftentimes I'm really breaking down the science of body language and then I'm instructing my clients to go out to public spaces and just to observe people interacting Mm -hmm. so that they can become more adept at reading body language and it becomes more intuitive so that they don't have to be in an analytical space and they can drop down into their desire and into the interaction. So do some of the legwork ahead of time by becoming more fluent in understanding body language. Mm-hmm. So if I'm getting positive body language, eye contact, relaxed body posture, easy breathing, leaning in, initiating or reciprocating touch, open body posture, right? Then I'm going to want to uh, continue to maybe escalate or to at least feel like I can hang out where I am and continue to marinate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if I'm getting body language that's suggesting that that the other person is uncomfortable, maybe they're looking around the space or they're looking at their phone or their body is tense or their arms get crossed or their legs or their body turns away or they're leaning back or they're redirecting touch away, Mm. right? Then what is really important is that you first just try de-escalating. So go back maybe a couple of steps. If you were touching and you notice the discomfort start, go back to not touching. If you brought up an intensely sexual topic and you notice the discomfort start, go back to less sexual topics. Mm -hmm. If that reestablishes comfort, great you've done the attunement process. But if you're still noticing discomfort, then I suggest verbally addressing it Mm -hmm. and saying, "Um, I'm noticing some discomfort. I'm wondering if you are too. Mm -hmm. Or maybe saying, I'm wondering, was that too much too soon? I want to make sure that you feel comfortable with me Mm -hmm. and stay on your pace. Mm -hmm. So there are ways that we can verbally acknowledge it to reestablish safety. Right. And I love that even verbalizing it's first of all, kind of taking a step back and verbalizing it on its own can be very sexy because she's mm-hmm. giving the information that I have this awareness about what's going on here. And it, I'm paying attention to you as, as part of this dance, which I think can be very arousing and exciting and also a good way of getting the affirmation from the partner if they're interested or not. Hopefully they would be able to tell you. So tell us about when you think about seduction, what are some of the founding principles that you think it's important for our listeners to know about? 
Well, I definitely think understanding how to create safety and how to create turnaround, right? And so when we're thinking about safety, there's aspects around understanding how to navigate consent. And oftentimes, one of the things I'm suggesting that my clients do is have these meta consent conversations Mm -hmm. where they're actually talking with their people that they're interested in about like, how do you like to navigate consent? Because there are the people out there that love to be asked every step of the way. Nothing makes them feel safer and hotter. And there are other people out there where that's a big turnoff for them. They don't want to be asked every step of the way. Mm -hmm. And how is anybody supposed to know or feel comfortable interacting if they don't have just a very open conversation around what has you feel safe and what has you feel turned on. Mm -hmm. And I think that having this conversation demonstrates that level of confidence that you were referencing in the beginning. That's such a vital component of seduction and flirting Mm -hmm. is that I feel comfortable to to talk about like what turns you on Mm -hmm. and how do I create that kind of space. What would be a good time to bring this conversations? For example, assuming these are the new kind of dating relationship or new hookup situation, would it be a time that things start becoming hot and heavy or it would be this meta conversation that you're talking about or it would be kind of at dinner table? So what are some of the ways that you recommend people to navigate that? Well, I'm a unique person in that like, I am a big intellect and I get really turned on by geeking out. <laughs> I acknowledge that most people are probably not like that. And so if you're in the middle of some intense sexual interaction, you might not want to go to this kind of very heady conversation place. And oftentimes people are saying, but Ali, I don't want to like assume or have somebody else think that I am doing it too early and then being presumptuous. Mm-hmm. So what I suggest is that there are You want to know that there's some flirty energy. I talk about what escalation patterns look like and I break down how to to create intensifying levels of both physical and uh, non-physical, so non-verbal and verbal ways of escalating. So where are kind of like level one places to touch versus level two, meaning more intimate versus level three? And Mm -hmm. how do you do like a grazing touch versus a lingering touch, right? So these are different ways of escalating. Mm -hmm. Also remembering that seduction isn't something that just happens when you're first meeting someone or in the first few stages of a relationship that we want to seduce our partners the entire way through, right? Mm -hmm. That we're demonstrating that we have desire for them and that we're willing to initiate, but also that we can attune and that we're willing to navigate consent with mm-hmm. consideration and that we're understanding what our partner's turn-ons are, but also able to read their mood. Mm-hmm. But I think when we have a new partner, it's more challenging because with the existing partner, even if it was a hookup partner that we had prior hookup, we already know what are some of the base kind of like baseline are, what are some of the things that are okay to touch at least. And I understand with consent, that needs to be an ongoing conversation. But like you have at least more of a read on that situation. But with someone that's new, how can we kind of like do this dance of escalation and de-escalation if necessary? Yes. Well, I just want to say that I think that there are different challenges when it's new versus when it's an established partner. Because when it's new, you have this 
excitement and new relationship energy that you can ride that kind of is this own wonderful cocktail that helps to feed the flirtation and seduction. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when you're in long-term relationships, while you might know each other really well, you don't have to navigate the nuances of consent and there's less anxiety. There's also less natural built-in spark. You have to cultivate it and it can require planning and more in-depth escalation patterns and a little bit more effort, right? So there's different experiences with seduction in both scenarios. Mm -hmm. But I think that you raise a wonderful question around how do we navigate consent and escalate when something is new and therefore more ambiguous, Mm -hmm. right? And I would say that with regards to this, it's great to have what I call meta consent conversations, Mm -hmm. where you just talk to the other person about how they want to navigate consent. And a great time to do this is when you can sense that there's some chemistry, there's some flirtation, there's some touching that's being initiated and reciprocating. Maybe the conversation topic is getting to a flirty place where there's compliments or affirmations going back or forth, or you're talking about desires or longings or these really yummy and juicy topics. Then I think it's a wonderful time to say something to the effect of, you know, I don't want to be presumptuous. I'm just so curious to know, how do you like to navigate consent? Mm -hmm. Does it turn you on to be asked every step of the way or does that feel like a turnoff? And if it does, when do you like to be asked Mm -hmm. and, and how? And so that we can like have these conversations in a way that demonstrates our confidence Mm-hmm. demonstrates our thoughtfulness and consideration and actual desire to have the other person feel safe, that alone is going to establish a, a foundation of safety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to start to facilitate a conversation about turn-ons. Right, right. And I, and I love that, like putting it out there and kind of talking about it at onset of before, before all this exciting things turns to kind of a sexual experiences to talk about it ahead of time because you give the opportunity to your partner to give you information if that's something that they find sexy. They want you to kind of say yes every step of the way or that's a kind of one and done conversation. Of course, it's never that simple, but at least they might not find it as hot and exciting if someone's asking them every step of the way. That's right. Yeah. And I know that that's where non the nonverbal aspect comes in. Like if you're really adept at reading body language and if you're willing to deescalate, mm-hmm. then you can get away with more of this navigation of the nonverbal components of consent. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think one of the things that happens when people get nervous is they speed up and they go quicker. Mm-hmm. Right. Look at anybody who's public speaking. You can tell how nervous they are by how quickly they're speaking. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, if you're nervous in a sexual interaction, you're kind of going to be speeding up towards whatever end goal you might have. And then you're going to be missing the cues. And not only that, but you're going to be forgetting the importance of creating anticipation and marinating in the current moment and creating longing. I always say that I love it when my lover helps me or makes me or notices that I have a desire Mm -hmm. and they let me sit in the desire before Mm -hmm. they give it to me, before Mm -hmm. they need it. Mm -hmm. Because that anticipation and longing makes the desire so much hotter. 
Absolutely. I, I'm with you that escalating and de-escalating on its own is like this game that can increase and intensify the desire, which is really, really helpful. And I think many people, they never got that kind of good information about what what happens during the kind of the escalation process. So maybe they go from point A of kind of like having this conversation and they want to kind of make this aggressive mood. A move. So what are some of the steps along the way that you kind of suggest people to kind of go through if they want to follow a path? Yeah. So when we're thinking about verbal flirting, mm-hmm. you know, I think that people will start to ask me, well, how do I even initiate conversation? And <laughs> like, like step one, what do we talk about? And so I think that there are some really easy places that you can begin. You can begin with some sort of observation that you're noticing. It could be clever or funny, but it doesn't even have to be. The most you know, generic example is something about the weather, but hopefully you could do something about the space that you're in or maybe the party or the atmosphere, something like that. You could ask a question. You could find some sort of common ground or shared experience. You could give a compliment. These are all good ways to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. And then when you're wanting to escalate verbally, I think that you can do so both by changing the conversation topic to things that are more intimate. And things that are more intimate are things that are vulnerable Mm -hmm. because intimacy is mutual shared vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And so what you're wanting to do in this part is to see, does the other person match your vulnerability? Are they willing to engage with you in these topics that might be about your desires or your longings or your Mm -hmm. fears? It tends to be more emotional topics. Mm -hmm. Then you can start, if you're getting reciprocation there, then you can maybe move the topic of conversation into desires and longings or attraction, something around sexuality and desire, dating. Then if you're still getting positive reception, Mm -hmm. I like to suggest something that I call the three-part invitation. Mm -hmm. And the way that this works is in part one, you're inviting the other person's desire. And I'll give an example in a moment. In part two, you're sharing your own desire. And in part three, you're giving them a very easy way out. And this is the most important part of the process because the way out, if you really want to be an expert in consent, you have to create a very easy opportunity for the other person to say no to you. If we don't have full access to our no, our yes is meaningless. So we want to make sure that our yeses are meaningful by creating easy way outs. And so part three is is that aspect. So for example, I might say, if you're available to continue to explore, I would love to find another time to meet up for coffee or a drink. And if you're unavailable, I want you to know I've really enjoyed this conversation and I think you're an incredibly compelling person. Oh, I love that. (laughs) And I think that anybody on the receiving end of that, it doesn't matter if they're actually interested in more or not. It feels like a Mm win-win. And it creates that safety because of the very easy way out. There's no pressure. There's no obligation. No, no awkwardness. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. And so I think these are really good ways to verbally escalate. Mm. And then with regards to nonverbal escalation, I would say that first you want to start with eye contact. Mm. 
And there's a difference between like piercing kind of creepy eye contact. (laughs) Notice if you're leaning forward too much, like stay really grounded and rooted in yourself. And if they look away, like let them look away. That's okay. That's a natural process of coming and going, the push and pull. That's a central part of attraction. Then after some eye contact and smiling, you might consider doing a little bit of touch. And I think there's a difference between grazing touch and a lingering touch. And I really recommend starting with a grazing touch and starting in a very friendly platonic area. So that's usually shoulders, arms maybe upper back. These are kind of very safe spaces to do a grazing touch. And just notice the body language. Do they stay neutral? Do they positively respond or do they more negatively respond? If they more negatively respond, last known good state. Don't just abandon ship. Uh Go back to the conversation topic you were already engaging in. Just pull back on the touch a little bit Uh and continue to invest in building chemistry at that stage that you were at. Uh If it's neutral or ambiguous, then maybe wait a little while and try another grazing level one touch, maybe someplace else that I just mentioned. And if it's positively received, maybe because they're leaning forward or smiling or they reciprocate, then you might try a lingering touch in one of those places. And then, of course, if you're getting positive reception, and this is not maybe in the course of a first date, this is a longer term scale that I'm drawing out, more intimate places that you could touch would be the small of the back mm-hmm. or the knee mm-hmm. or maybe like the, the lower thigh area, mm-hmm. the face or hair. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all more intimate, but less intimate, of course, than genitalia or butt or inner thigh or some of these areas that can be, you know, a real intense escalation. Mm-hmm. And I like that when you were talking about if you're touching and uh, kind of a second layer of touch and the person is kind of like pulling away to go back to first layer, unless it, they feel like if you notice, and again, it's a dance and part of it, I think it's art that you're noticing that they're really uncomfortable because sometimes maybe it's uh, the message is not yet, but mm-hmm. there is the, the seduction and the play and the sexual energy is there. So we want to make sure right. the partner is ready. And part of the whole purpose of flirting is to test the chemistry, which is both the attraction. Do you, are you into the same things? Do we have this kind of natural chemistry? But also safety. And so part of the reason why somebody might give a no signal is really to see how does the other person respond to my no? Do they notice? Can they stay in connection with me? Mm -hmm. Do they respect it? Does it create awkwardness? Do they disconnect? Do they get really defensive or oblivious? So that's part of the function of the push-pull escalation, de-escalation. It's this kind of data gathering process. And so that's why it's so important to stay in the flow and not to assume that if you get some sort of no signal that they're completely not interested in you or that you did something terribly wrong. And as I mentioned, if you do feel like you had a flirting faux pas, and just name it and say, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry if I had you feel uncomfortable. That wasn't my intention. And I totally acknowledge that was the mm-hmm. impact. 
And I just want you to know that your safety really matters to me. And I'm happy to listen about how that might have created some awkwardness or discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I think it's both parties important to practice their voice and saying that this, this feels good and that doesn't feel good because I think many people learn their kind of sex education from porn. And I don't think porn is necessarily bad, but it doesn't show this like one, two, three, four steps that we're talking about it. Or even in the, the other end of it, it's like people learning it from romantic comedy, those kind of those movies that also shows a kind of unrealistic patterns at times. So my experience is that flirting is the skill that anyone can develop. Anyone can connect to their sexual desire. Anyone can practice it. So what are some of the recommendations you have for people to get better at flirting? Well, I think that my recommendations are different for people who shut down and contain their desire versus people who kind of are so hungry or feel their longing so intensely that they flood other people with their desire. For the people that shut down and contain their desire, what I'm working with them to develop is a healthier relationship with their own desire. So that's oftentimes exploring where they feel shame where they've been told that their desire was wrong or overwhelming or too much. I mean, one thing that we should just name and address is that I think that men are facing a particularly challenging bind because in our society, we believe that masculinity means that you're supposed to be competent at everything, particularly when it comes to sex, that you're supposed to be always available for sex and always ready for it at a moment's notice. Yet, we also tell men that their desire is overwhelming, too much, creepy, inappropriate, and unsafe. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very challenging bind to navigate. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of men, in particular, but people of all genders, respond to this by shutting down their desire, denying it so that other people feel safe. But this is actually not serving anybody because one, it's disempowering to deny your own desire. So many people feel like they're just are watching all these opportunities pass them by and they don't know how to act on them in a way that feels an in integrity with themselves and safe for others. Mm -hmm. And Denying your own desire is a lack of transparency that can actually make somebody else feel uncomfortable. So the very thing that you're doing to try and create safety and comfort might be undermining you and creating discomfort after all. Mm -hmm. So for the containers that I work with, I'm teaching them how to reconnect with their desire, how to feel it in their body, how to actually even connect with their genitals through breath, through pelvic floor exercises so that they can really feel the sensations in their body to help generate an embodied sense of confidence. And I'm teaching them how to express their desire and get over the fear that there's something wrong with doing that. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that you brought up the societal messages because I certainly see this dilemma with many of the lovely men that I work in my practice at uh, with because they're telling me that they don't know, they don't want to be kind of come up as intrusive too much, but also it's hard for them to kind of deny their desire. So that dance is important, but also I see it in, among women that I work with. Because when they are trying to seduce their take initiative, the message is she's a slut. That's and right. then when she wants to kind of, she gets rejected, it just like intensifies that message. So I think that part of it can be challenging as well. 
Totally. And there's less, women tend to be less practiced because of societal scripts that put men in a position of initiating. And of course, we're talking about heterodynamics at this Mm -hmm. point, but it can be both challenging because of the slut backlash, Mm -hmm. but also challenging because there's less modeling for how to do it and less Mm -hmm. practice and familiarity with it. Right? Right, Mm -hmm. right. And then with regards to the spillers, to go back to how I would help folks learn how to flirt, I think with people that can feel the desire so intensely that they flood and invade other people with it and make them feel uncomfortable, this can often fall under the you know nebulous, creepy category. Mm-hmm. Then what I'm working with them to do is to learn how to stay connected to themselves. Teaching them how to feel grounded, oftentimes through connecting with their feet or their breath or meditating on the back of their body, noticing their spine, leaning back a few degrees because often they're leaning really forward and invading personal space a little bit. And I'm also often addressing their longing and their hunger and filling their intimacy tanks a little bit because If somebody has just an unmet need that has been going on for a really long time, it can be very challenging to energetically not leak that. Mm -hmm. And really what I need to do in those moments is just love them up and give them some attention, affirmation, and affection so that they can feel that sense of fulfillment and nourishment and come with their plates a little bit more full to these interactions. Mm -hmm. How can we feel that that desire ourselves? What are some of the recommendations for the clients that you give them? Well, one thing I think is having a really good self-pleasuring practice. Mm -hmm. And this, I say self-pleasuring, not masturbation, because I want to blow it up to mean so much more than masturbation. Self-pleasuring is this practice of touching yourself in ways that feel good. That could be while you shower, stroking your hair, grabbing your hair, but also getting massages, bubble baths, Mm -hmm. spas, favorite food and drinks, like really just... Creating pleasure in your life, I think, is an important thing. Mm -hmm. And then touch. Touch is so important. And, you know, if you have a hard time finding touch in your life, I think cuddle parties Mm -hmm. are a wonderful thing. They're so great. And they are popping up in major cities all across the U.S. And if they're not in your city, then there are organizations you can go to to learn more and start your own cuddle parties. Mm -hmm. They're great places to learn how to navigate consent. And they're great places to get touch in ways that feel safe. You don't have to worry about it going sexual because these cuddle parties are where there's physical intimacy, meaning a lot of touch, but not sexual intimacy. There's a lot of clear boundaries so that it feels safe for everybody. So it's a wonderful training ground and a wonderful place to fill up your tanks. Great. Love that. Love that. Lots of good, tangible things that people can do. So Ali, I noticed we're toward the end of our time and I know you have tons of great contents and workshops and all this great writings that you have. So tell us if our listeners, they want to get a hold of you, what would be the best way? The best way is to go through my website, which is turnon.love. You can send me a message through there. You can also see my wide range of workshops and retreats that I offer. I'm starting to do more online offerings. So if you're not local to the Bay Area, you can still catch my work that way. And you can also find out more about my coaching practice. I work with individuals and couples and groups, both in person and virtually. And then if you're interested in a resource, you can go to turnon.love slash free gift. And I have some wonderful resources available for folks who are interested. And I'd love to hear from you. So please feel free to reach out. 
Awesome. So guys, I leave those information in the show notes. Ali, thank you so much for coming on this show. I learned tons of great information and we really appreciate you. I had so much fun. I really also learned so much through talking with you. And I feel excited to go out and enjoy this weekend and do some flirting and seducing. (laughs) Yay. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Allison Ash. And I love that she taught us some actionable steps that you can do to improve your skill set when it comes to flirting and seduction. And I want you to practice that because what I know is, even if that's something that that's a skill that you never learn, with practice, that's something that you can master. In my office, with many of my clients that are struggling, we do lots of role play and I give them feedback. And you can even do that with your friends. And I truly believe that that's a skill that you can get good at if you're giving it a shot. Anyhow, if you have been listening to this show, if you're enjoying this show, please make sure you're subscribing to the show. We have tons of great interviews coming up. If you have a moment, I would really appreciate it if you write us a review on iTunes or Stitchers. Your reviews are really important to in helping us to rank higher in iTunes so we would be able to reach a broader audience. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.